Cyberwork and InfoSec would like to introduce you to our new Cybersecurity Beginner Immersive Boot Camps. They're designed to help you gain and enhance your expertise in the cybersecurity field. Join our live interactive virtual classes led by InfoSec's highly skilled instructors who will guide you through the material and provide real-time support. And as part of InfoSec's Immersive's training, each student will have access to career coaching aimed at helping them start or switch to the cybersecurity field. You heard that right. We aren't here to just teach you the concept of what a security professional does. We want to prepare you to enter the job market with a competitive edge in six months' time. Now, I've told you about InfoSec certification boot camps, and if you're trying to hit your next career target and need a certification to do it, that's still your best bet. But if you're an entry-level cybersecurity professional or want to be, or you're switching your career and want to experience a career transformation, InfoSec's immersive boot camps are designed to make you job ready in six months. To learn more, go to infosecinstitute.com slash cyberwork, all one word, C-Y-B-E-R-W-R-K, and learn more about this exciting new way to immerse yourself in learning with InfoSec. And now, let's begin the show. Today on Cyberwork, I'm very excited to welcome back to the show Diana Kelly, this time to discuss her work as board member of the Cyber Future Foundation and the goings-on at this year's Cyber Talent Week. Whether you're a cybersecurity hiring manager who doesn't know why you're not getting the applicants you want, a candidate who hears that the profession has 0% unemployment but still can't seem to get a callback, or anyone in between, do not miss this episode. This is one for the books, folks. Keep it right here today on CyberWork. Welcome to this week's episode of the CyberWork with InfoSec podcast. Each week, we talk with a different industry thought leader about cybersecurity trends, the way those trends affect the work of InfoSec professionals, while offering tips for breaking in or moving up the ladder in the cybersecurity industry. Diana Kelly has been the IT and, uh, in the IT and cybersecurity industry for over 30 years and serves on the board of Cyber Future Foundation, uh, YCYS, and the Executive Women's Forum, or EWF. Prior to joining uh, CyberEyes, uh, Diana was cybersecurity field CTO for Microsoft, global executive security advisor at IBM Security, GM at Semantic, VP at Burton Group, now Gartner, a manager at KPMG, CTO and co-founder of Security Curve, and chief VCSO at Salt Cybersecurity. Her extensive volunteer work has included serving on the ACM Ethics and Plagiarism Committee, Cybersecurity Committee Advisor at CompTIA, CTO and board member at Sightline Security, Advisory Board Chair at WOPLLI Technologies, uh, advisory Council Member, Bartlett College of Science and Mathematics, Bridgewater State University, and RSAC U.S. Program Committee. She is a sought-after keynote speaker, uh, the host of uh, Bright Talks, The Security Balancing Act, co-author of the books Practical Cybersecurity Architecture and Cryptographic Libraries for Developers, and has been a lecturer at Boston College's Master's Program in Cybersecurity, the EWF 2020 Executive of the Year, and EWF Conference Chair 2021 and 2022, uh, an SC Media Power Player, and one of Cybersecurity Ventures' 100 Fascinating Females Fighting Cybercrime. I like that one. Uh, I really enjoyed <laughs> my talk with Diana uh, last year, I believe it was, in which we discussed some of her past work with the Analyst Syndicate, her early tech knowledge, uh, and touched on a few things that I wanted to return to, such as ethical considerations when utilizing AI. Uh, and I was going to get to that, but based on some of Diana's new work and her recent appearance at the Cyber Future Foundation's Cyber Talent Week, uh, I actually have a bunch of different questions to ask her, uh, because <laughs> it sounds like 
this group is getting very involved in a set of topics that's very near and dear to InfoSec's heart, that of talent gap issues, hiring new diverse groups of talent from other workforce sectors, uh, and continuous education and learning. Those are all gongs you've heard me beat on the show many times. So not to mention the community benefits that your contribution to the work of cybersecurity brings. So let's get into it. Diana, thank you for joining me today and welcome back to CyberWork. Oh, thanks so much for having me back, Chris. It's great to be here. Uh, awesome. So uh, since uh, you've already told us your fascinating origin story, and I highly recommend going back to Diana's previous episode because it's it's really great. It involves uh, learning about the uh, the pre-internet at the highest level, <laughs> let's say, uh, and I'll, then I'll leave it at that. So let's start by catching our audience up on your activity since you were last on the show a year ago. What have you been up to? Yeah, so I've, I've, as you know, I do a lot of volunteer work, and the more volunteer work you do, it seems the more people you run into and that that need mentors and need guidance. And something that's really emerged in the past year that I've seen is a big need in the industry is to help people who want to get into the field actually be able to train up and get jobs. And that just sounds to some people, it may sound like. What that? What's that person on about? You know, it's like because we see the headlines, right? And the headlines right. are there's zero unemployment. It's a very highly paid profession, and that if you get a degree or a certificate in cyber, because there's zero unemployment, that means that you will not have any problem finding a job. Uh, and a lot of people go into cyber uh, either reskilling from different careers, coming back from military service and looking for a way to get into the the private sector or coming out of school. A lot of people have come up to me and said, I did this. I did the cyber thing. I got the degree. I got the certificate. I can't get a job. And some of these stories are are outright heartbreaking, Chris. I mean, people who have come back from service, for example, and get trained up and then get 400, 500, 600 either rejections after they've submitted their resume mm-hmm. or just get ghosted. You know, the ATS, yeah. just the applicant tracking system just spits them out. Mm-hmm. So that was really, uh, you know, I, I saw that, that this is a big problem. There's also the, the side of the, the CISOs trying right. to hire because this is also a real problem. We don't have enough people in the field to hire. Yep. So how to solve this problem? And a lot of people go at it with, Let's make better training. Let's get more certificates. Let's create new programs. Those are all wonderful. But sometimes it's hard for people to actually navigate which program they go into, which one is going to help them get the job. So uh, what we've been working on at Cyber Future Foundation is to really, and with Cyber Talent Week as supporting this work, is to really help to try and understand how do you help people navigate all of these options Mm -hmm. so that they can get jobs, get the right training? How do you talk to the hiring side, help them get the right map for what they're going to hire to be able to recognize their operational model or their op mod? How do they write job descriptions? How do they help hire and find the next generation? And then the big thing, which is the bridge in the middle, which we call the National Cyber Help Desk, is designed to give support to the people that can't get experience, because that's mm-hmm. a big problem, Chris, is, is yeah. like it's chicken or egg. Oh, yeah. National Cyber Help Desk supports small and medium businesses in concert with local and state governments and provides an opportunity for people that can't get internships or 
externships anywhere else mm-hmm. gives them that opportunity to get real world hands-on experience, which is very often the difference between knocking on a bunch of doors and having some of those doors open and, and there being a job on the other side. Absolutely. I mean, and that's that's something that just just by sheer experience of doing this for all these years is, you know, you watch the episode and, you know, one CISO after another says, you know, there's so many positions available. Please come learn this, yeah. learn that. And then the comment section tells a different story. It's a bunch of people saying, can I have a job? And they say, no, <laughs> or I've been trying for a year and nothing's, nothing's, uh, nothing's available to me and I don't have experience. And, you know, and then, and then the, the guests say, well, you don't need experience as long as you can show interest. And then the comment section say, I have interest and I have, and I don't have experience and it's not helping. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to be able to sort of like drill down into this in a, in a really practical way, because, uh, yeah. you know, I, while I, while I don't, you know, I'm not uh, disparaging anyone and I'm not saying that, you know, it's not true that there's a lot of jobs available. I still think that there's this very thin connecting bridge that needs to sort of um, connect the uh, possible utopianism of we have all these jobs. We wish we had candidates for them and these candidates standing on the other side of the the chasm saying, "I, I, I can't do it. I can't get that job. Yeah, that's exactly it. And so we didn't want to reinvent any wheels. We know there's an amazing set of tools already out there. What we want to do is bring together and provide navigation and and bring the different uh, stakeholders together so that we can help to solve the problem in a coherent way. Absolutely. So, yeah, we, like I say, we normally start with the current topic first and then talk career and education strategies later. But uh, today I want to eat my dessert first. So <laughs> from <laughs> April 18th through the 22nd, uh, the Cyber Future Foundation hosted Cyber Talent Week 2022. Uh, to quote the website, Cyber Talent Week brings together a comprehensive and multi-stakeholder approach towards assembling the pieces of the puzzle required to establish a nationwide solution for cyber workforce development. This event is organized as a North America-wide effort to identify, recognize, and highlight the various programs, resources to address the much-recognized challenge of cybersecurity workforce development. So I may have some other topics we can cover later, but honestly, I think this is going to be the whole episode because this is so in line with what InfoSec is trying to accomplish. So uh, I want to start out by finding out who founded this group and this conference and how you specifically got involved in it. Sure. So um, the conference is is a, a product of the nonprofit Cyber Future Foundation, mm-hmm. which is a nonprofit that's trying to bring together business and people and and solve major problems in cyber. So we do um, some humanitarian work uh, mm-hmm. right now. We're supporting the some refugee groups for that are supporting Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, we've worked with uh, helping uh, with Afghanistan as as folks were getting out of Afghanistan. So working on humanitarian efforts as well as as the effort of the humanitarian effort of trying to help more people get into cyber and thrive in cyber. And as we saw this this gap between mm-hmm. exactly what you, and Chris, I love that example of you've got yeah. CISOs coming on saying we're desperate for people. We need people. And the people in the comments have that different story. Mm-hmm. You know, that is really something that we started to see coming up there. And, and it, it, it really just felt almost alarming. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's why Cyber Talent Week happened. And, and how did Cyber Future come to happen? Val Mukherjee, who is one of the people who uh, got was early involved in the formation of uh, CSA, Cloud Secure, Security Alliance, 
Uh, he is the founder and visionary behind the Cyber Future Foundation. He was at EY. He's now focusing entirely on the cyber talent problem mm-hmm. and on uh, work that we're doing at Cyber Future. And there's another venture, um, too, that, that I can't speak about yet, but uh, is, is also focused on this very same problem. Got it. And, you know, thanks to his and he's just one of these people that he sees a problem. He goes in and he says, look, how do we how do we solve it? How do we address it? How do we fix it? So that's why Cyber Future Foundation exists really as, as a nonprofit to support the good work in cyber and the people of cyber and Cyber Talent Week, because this problem just started to become far too acute not to be yeah. uh, not to bring people together. And we brought together. It was a it was a, a North American, as you said, we started on the uh, on the, uh, the the West Coast. So okay. we were virtual for the first three days and yep. we ran it on the West Coast in the middle of the country. And then we landed in person in the D.C. area and oh. all along the way we brought on. Yeah, we were very a traveling road show. <laughs> it was. It yeah. really was. I love it. Um, you know, so yeah, three days virtual, two days in person, and the the engaged engagement and stakeholders were industry leaders, obviously, um, the government, right? Because there's a lot mm-hmm. of work that goes on in the government between oh, yeah. you know INL and NIST, NICE, mm-hmm. right, and the DOL and DHS and CISA. There are a lot of stakeholders in the government that have a very vested interest in addressing this problem, but also have given us wonderful tools that are part of the toolkit, like the NIST NICE framework, for oh, example, yeah. to be able to expand. So we brought stakeholders in from all the, the different groups. Marianne Merritt from NIST NICE was with us virtually. Um, you know, we had folks, we had Christian Todd um, with us in person in, in DC, and it was just bringing together the stakeholders. And the reason we landed it in um in DC is that because a lot of this really does have to be a public private, there's a lot of talk about public private partnership, but what's mm-hmm. nice to see in cyber is that we've gone from just kind of talking about it to actually seeing some, some real examples of how this can yes. work more effectively. And cyber workforce is going to be one of those where it's going to take both sides. So that's why we we landed in, in DC and had those, those conversations in person. And we're, we want to go from a discussion to action. Yeah, that's that's so exciting because it, it does feel like there's been a lot of theory uh, being spoken in the last couple of years. And it's nice to see, uh, you know, because that, that's always the question you don't want to ask is like, OK, well, how is this all going to happen? It's like, well, we just, you know, we just need to <laughs> think think hard enough at the problem. And it'll, <laughs> but it, yeah, these are these are real physical, structural barriers that need to be crossed in order to make these things happen. So that's why I'm so uh, enthused about this. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so the article you sent me on LinkedIn, which is titled Reflections on a Week uh, with Inspiring Cybersecurity Leaders was written by Chris Fulan. Is that my, my pronouncing it right? Yes. Fulan, uh, founder and co-host of the Breaking Into Cybersecurity podcast. Uh, and he provided me with a bunch of great signposts about some of the main uh, strategies that you and your stakeholders are concentrating on to address the many in- issues the industry is facing. So one of the short-term issues you addressed is something we've been beating the gong about on the show for ages. Quote, uh, we would encourage employers to start re-examining their job descriptions to prioritize the problems that need to be solved and include the skills, competencies, and abilities to help solve those problems 
then prioritize internal training and continuous education processes to develop all the other nice to have skills and aptitude you can teach candidates over time. So I guess first, how do you plan to, uh, quote unquote, encourage employers in this way? This seems to be a fundamental issue of, you know, we talk about the hiring departments that are, uh, we've got to keep them away from their love of unicorn candidates. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, 10 years in a, you know, in a, you know, a certification has only been around for five years and so forth. Um, right. So how, how can we, uh, how can we do some sort of industry wide reset and readjustment of, of hiring requirements? Do you have suggestions for uh, maybe like templates for rewriting job descriptions in more useful and less alienating ways? Yes. Yeah. Um, and job descriptions, it, it really, it all starts with that. And the job yep. description is often then used as the baseline for that ATS, the applicant tracking system. So if you don't get all the keywords right, and a lot of times, especially if you're newer to the industry, you don't understand that mm -hmm. you're first going to have a system who's looking for pattern matches. Yeah. And if yep. your resume doesn't exactly match the pattern that they're looking for, then you can get kicked out of the system. And that's it. That's how you get these. Yeah. No, no so, human will see your resume. Right. So for you, it may be that you're like, well, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really good with, with cloud systems, but you write, but the specifically, and maybe you've used Azure, for example, but instead you write, you know, cloud, or, you know, I can set up servers in cloud. I can manage mm -hmm. servers in the cloud. Mm -hmm. um, but what it's looking for is the word Azure. And mm -hmm. you put cloud because you can work in Azure. You can work in AWS. You can work in DigitalOcean. Yeah. You, but they want Azure. So yeah. helping to understand with the writing of the um, of the, the job descriptions that write it in a way that's going to be more inclusive. So yep. something like if you look, want somebody who's an expert in cloud, say expert in cloud, or and you could say Azure preferred, and then make sure that the ATS is looking for that cloud experience, mm -hmm. not for the exact pattern match to Azure, unless it's only an Azure job and you really want then, because there's there's some talk with the on the the, uh, the side of, of those being hired too, helping them sure. with the jumping ATS. Some other things to do, inclusive language. It's mm -hmm. still not uncommon to find job descriptions that are written for he will do. Or, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like, are you hiring yeah. for a gender or are you hiring for the experience? If it's right. for the experience, make that that wording gender neutral. Yeah. And, and it then, also it, is, it sort of speaks to what the company culture is going to be if you're assuming that as well. So, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, well, I'm I'm not a he, but I can do the work. But you also say, well, this is a this is a place that assumes that I'm a he and is, you know, and, and underlying yeah. maybe would prefer that I be a he. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, yeah, that, that's, yes. that's 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 sort of ugly in both directions. It's, it's true. And it's just just make that wording general. And these are simple fixes for companies once you yes. make them aware of it. And I've I've worked with hiring managers that have come to me, you know, companies I've worked at previously. And they've said to me, nobody's nobody's responding. Nobody's a good fit. And I'll say, well, can I look at the job description? And then I'll ask questions. And they're like, oh, I didn't even think about that. And mm -hmm. the biggest one that they tend not to think about um, when they're writing the job description is exactly what you said, which is that unicorn, that phenomena of the fact that Certain kinds of people will apply for a job if they have about 60% of what's in that, that mm -hmm. job description. Mm -hmm. And so that has led to managers creating those unicorns stacked up job descriptions where they're like, I better ask for, you know, a lot more than just that 60%. It sure would be great if we could get this other thing too, but yeah. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And and helping them kind of come back to earth and say, genuinely, what skills do you need? Where is their flexibility or wiggle room? Like I said, if you've been if you've been doing security and running the systems at a company that's a big AWS shop, mm 
and you're, you're going to a company that's an Azure shop, that that can be learned. You know, that yeah. that's not that's that's like learning a different tool set. It's not becoming a security expert. You've clearly yeah. been doing the job. Right. Um, so, you know, that helping the hiring managers understand how they write is going to really is going to make a big difference. And to be very realistic about what those actual skills are. If you need somebody who can turn the knob left and right, say, turn the knob left and right, not say, you know, create a knob or add extra knob. Like, yeah. Be really specific about what mm-hmm. it is that you're, you're asking people to do. And not forgetting that insecurity, how, how, how many of us learned something and 10 years ago and now and we never had to relearn it because it never mm-hmm. changed and everything. Yeah. I mean, the, the basics, right? TCP IP is TCP IP, but still there's IPv4 and IPv6, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I know that IPv6 mm-hmm. has been around for decades, but, um, but you know, even <laughs> our basics, right? We do have advances, advances yeah. in NAS security, for example, right. but come on. I mean, you came Those out of school 20... 20- yeah, those oh, are just add-on learning packs. You can spend a weekend and, and get caught up or whatever, or two weekends. That's it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like being able to manage one cloud versus another cloud, this is something that you can pick up that skill. And so mm-hmm. being more realistic about genuinely what you need, what you can train up, and having a little bit of flexibility. If you have somebody who's perfect for the job and knows 100% of how to do it, unless they're the kind of person who's decided... I like my job nine to five. I don't want to advance. I don't want to learn anything. I just mm-hmm. want to do as little. Yeah. Right? Most most managers actually want somebody that they can skill up and move forward yes. because that's how we keep people engaged and learning yeah. and excited. Mm-hmm. So you want somebody who doesn't have maybe all this. So be realistic and also yep. understand where you can be flexible about what parts can be skilled up, which oh, leads ahead. to another one, Chris, which you probably mm-hmm. hear a lot because the, the next thing that I always hear is... Um, well, but if I hire somebody and train them, they're just going to leave me. Right, <laughs> right, right. Lot. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I hear that a lot, too, from from managers. You know, it's it, I, yeah. I paid for them to go to school and then they left me. It's like we're all sort of you know, have like this fear of abandonment now because I know. Happened. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and and you know, that's just sort of a mental block on their part because they forget all the other people who are like, you know, I actively withheld training from them and they left me, but you know, you're, you're thinking of them as, as good riddance rather than wait, come back. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, that's, that's it. It's true. Cause not yeah. everybody gets all it's, you probably had a, a, often managers have, you know, workers that they just really love, then they, they help to advance their careers. And if one of those yeah. leaves, that feels, that does feel very personal. Feels like an abandonment. It could just as well have been yeah. a tox- toxic workplace or no uh, room for advancement. It's like I paid for your schooling and then refused to promote you. And, uh, you know, there's so many intervening factors. You know, when someone tells you the story, you know, I gave them all this education and then they left me. It's like there, there might be yeah. other supporting evidence in there that we're not talking about. So to that end, yeah. I was what what uh, I have a couple questions uh, mm-hmm. related to that. Um, um I, it feels what I'm hearing is it almost sounds like it would be this would be a good opportunity to have some kind of a class for hiring managers like that we could sort of offer for free how to how to write an inclusive job description and maybe also one for aspirants how to how to jump you know how to jump the line honestly of of the the automated uh, tracking systems like you know it's like if this isn't you know if if no one's going to take action it seems like you know we need to get the information to the right people. But, you know, when, when you were talking about that, I think I feel like 
the the dream description would be to focus entirely on the soft skills, the areas of interest, and only put like technical requirements if they're really required. Like you, you know, we want someone, you know, who can uh, you know, read a lot of log files and is fine with repetitive work, but is also uh, eager to automate their position and eager to sort of move up in in learning and continuous learning. Also, you absolutely need to know these five tools. So maybe learn them before you get to the interview. Like, you know, I think there, there's this this fear that like if you give them the keys and the tools to give you what you want, that somehow that they're that's that's like a lesser candidate. But honestly. Uh, you know, a lot of people are still aren't going to do that. You can tell them, like, put this in front of this, in front of this, in front of this, put it on your resume, send it out, and you're still going to get a bunch of garbage candidates, but you're going to get a lot more real ones, I think. Is that, am I am I off track on that? Yeah, I mean, there's always people, there are people that are really hopeful, people that have been rejected so many times that they're like, I'm just going to throw my resume anyway, and it's like spaghetti yeah. at the wall. So, I mean, there's yeah. always going to be a certain amount, and that that is why ATS systems came into play initially, because mm-hmm. I think it was just to really help, you know, it was an attempt to make things better. So mm-hmm. that hiring managers didn't have to go through just stacks of resumes that weren't. Um, and unfortunately, I mean, that that is it'd be nice if people stopped submitting resumes that they really weren't um, weren't good candidates for. But, you right. know, on the other hand, it hope springs eternal. And I think that's why uh, people do do that. And then you do hear these unicorn stories of I didn't think I was I was really going to be accepted for that. And then, you know, oh, lo and behold, I, I was I mean, a, a, a colleague of mine. Uh, was just actually just is, is going to be a first time CISO and went through a lot of, of conversation with herself, you know, should I apply for this? But it was it was a dream and she really had the right building blocks yeah. to get there because everybody's got to get that first job as something once. Right. You know, um, so I don't want to discourage people from applying for jobs that they may not be 100 percent perfect for because right. sometimes you really do um, fit the bill. But yeah, like I think both on both sides are right. If the hiring managers can be a little bit clearer about genuinely what they want. And if you look at, there's been interesting studies coming out indicating that it's not the tech skills that end up being the problem when someone comes in. It, now, if somebody has a baseline tech, you know, as we were talking about, mm-hmm. um, you know, let's say, let's say you've been running Palo Alto um, firewalls. And the requirement is to be able to run the Microsoft Cloud Azure firewall. Mm-hmm. Firewalls are firewalls. I mean, if once yeah. you know, I'm not saying yeah, that the you button's can, over here instead of over here this time. Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying you can go in on day one. You've got all of the same, but it's something that you can, you know you know how firewalls yeah. work. You know what they do. Yeah, yep. you're right. The button moved. The the mm-hmm. rule's slightly different. You have mm-hmm. to figure out a different UI. Um, but the core of it is, is the same. So, but the, those soft skills, as you were mentioning, that is so critical. Can people fit in with the culture of the team or can they challenge the culture of the team in a healthy way? Um, you know, do they have the right, you know, a good friend of mine, um, Nicola Whiting is neurodivergent. I'm also neurodivergent. She's neurodivergent as she's, she's autistic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she talks a lot about the skill set that autistic people bring to an organization, you know, the ability to focus, right? Because some jobs in cyber require you to be able to just tune out all the noise. It doesn't matter what's happening in the news. You got to be able to like dive right Mm -hmm. in and focus. So then there's, here's a a benefit that, so if you have a job where it's dive right in and focus, think about who would be good in that job. As Nicola points out, that's something many people who are autistic would be very good at a job where dive Mm -hmm. in, left alone, focus. But now also think about 
uh, you know, DATS, did that kick them out for some reason? Mm-hmm. The interview process too, Chris, mm-hmm. because some people, uh, you know, may not make eye contact in the same way that right. other people. And, and actually being on video for some people, and which many of us are now interviewing on video, yeah. it's incredibly uncomfortable for some yes. people. So we're losing people in the process for reasons that are traditionally like, well, the resume didn't fit or they didn't make the right eye contact with me yeah. when I was interviewing. Yeah. They may actually, we may be losing some fantastic candidates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, so I want to uh, get back to the uh, the article here. Here's another quote from Chris's piece on Cyber Talent Week. Quote, the focus on the problem to be solved opens up the apparatus to new diverse groups of talent from other workforce sectors interested in solving those types of issues and a retainment mechanism via continuous education and training. So this is something that's uh, interested me ever since I started hearing from listeners who are having trouble transitioning into the industry from other fields. Um, did you come up with strategies or ideas for bringing these diverse talent groups from other industries into the fold by, say, appealing to their sense of problem solving? Yes. Yeah. And again, I want to thank uh, Chris so much for his article. Thank you for for mm-hmm. um, bringing it up. And, mm-hmm. and he did just just a wonderful um, review of what happened at the week. But yeah, so bring so part of the bringing people in diversity is to talk more about the different jobs in cyber that yes. exist because we tend to all immediately kind of go to these super tech. Even as, as we've been talking about, I did this myself. I'm talking mm-hmm. about firewalls. I'm about talking yep. about a security cloud, cloud admin, admin yeah, right? Yeah. Um, we tend to go tech. And yeah, we certainly need people in tech and cyber, but cyber is now the business of work, which means that we need to have people with all kinds of skill sets. There are whole legal practices and legal or uh, you know legal um, uh, law firms that have been created to address different aspects of cyber, whether it's understanding the security implications of a contract that you're signing mm-hmm. or um, the implications of new regulations and things around things like data privacy. Mm-hmm. It's lawyers. We need lawyers in cybersecurity, yeah, insurance, we, cybersecurity. We just, did a live, uh, we just did a live webinar on all about privacy. And when one, one of the yeah. three guests was a lawyer and yeah, yeah, it's, you know, and of course, comments, uh, the comment section was like, is this really cybersecurity? It's like, absolutely, this is cybersecurity. It's all tied together now. It is. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, psychologists. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my favorite things when I'm telling people about phishing and trying to explain phishing and why, how the attackers are getting us to click is to go back to um, Professor Robert Cialdini's book. Uh, Mm -hmm. influence and the power of persuasion Mm because he's got six dimensions of of influence. And guess what? When you start looking at fishes, they used them. So these are tools from marketing and psychology. So Mm -hmm. we need those people to help us. How do we do security awareness training? People who are educators, right? So when you start talking about how cyber is, and sometimes people say to me, oh, you think cyber is everywhere. Well, it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) As evidenced by the fact that we're talking over computer screens right now. uh, (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Meeting software. So that I think is how we create some of that diversity is to to help people understand that this is an incredibly diverse practice that we're talking about. It's not only Mm -hmm. the technical piece. It's many, many other pieces coming together. Um, So that that really matters. The looking at uh, helping more people get into. So that's one piece. One piece is getting more people that would not standardly go into cybersecurity. So we've opened the aperture of what the job can be. Mm -hmm. Now let's also um, open the aperture on who can be in that job. So things like a four year college degree for some 
for some roles, look, if, if you're going to be a lawyer, you probably have to go to four years of school as yeah, well please. as law school. Please do. <laughs> um, yes. Um, however, there are many, many jobs in cybersecurity that don't necessarily need a four-year degree. It could be an associate's degree. It could even be a GED from high school. Mm-hmm. So helping to, to also uh, look at can on the hiring side, can we just increase that so we have more diversity of people that maybe weren't able to come up with the, the money? It's not free to go. Well, for most people, it's not free to go to college. For sure. So, you know, helping people and then maybe you bring somebody in, you train them up, you send them to school. But you can also do a little bit of that tie, that fear of abandonment. You can say, mm-hmm. look, you're going to have to pay back that degree if you don't stay with us for X number of years, it's not indentured servitude. It's just right. saying that we've paid for this. For we you. want to make sure that this is the, what, what you're actually using this for is to apply into this job if possible. Exactly. And mm-hmm. then the neurodivergence, as we were talking about uh, as well, you know, t- mm-hmm. helping to understand what kind of job this is, is, is this going to be a good job for this person? Um, so that, that level of diversity, and then ultimately, you know, keeping people engaged and, and, there is a fear of sending people to conferences now to education. And if I could plead with one thing for any hiring manager, it's do not take that away from your team. That's in the long run, they're only going to leave because they want those opportunities. That saying of people don't leave companies, they leave managers. I I found that to be very, very, very true. Even in company, I used to say, well, you know, if a company's dying, people want to leave. But I've actually seen at dying companies, a really great manager still be able to retain Hang the core on. of their team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so um, think of yourself as, as a manager, if you're losing people, um, think about why. And not giving them opportunities is going to be one of the biggest reasons they want their manager to be an advocate. Now, I'm not saying it's all Pollyanna. I get it. There oh, are yeah. some big name tech companies out there. That I've seen what they dangle in front of some people. And yeah, I mean, if somebody comes up and triples your your salary, it's a little <laughs> hard to say. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> say no. But for the most part, really, just stop with the fear, worrying about fear of abandonment. Really mm-hmm. make the strongest, happiest employees you can. And most of them are going to stay because they are, they're committed to what you're, you're doing and building. Yeah. Uh, So something uh, mentioned in the article um, coming from the job candidate side really, really resonated with me. And I'd love to discuss it further. So uh, it says, quote, uh, on the candidate side, start with narrowing down the problems you would like to solve and the roles you would be interested in pursuing. So we're always letting people know on this show, and we just talked about it a little bit here, but that there's more to cybersecurity than pen testing and incident response and secure coding. Uh, But I wanna get into this idea further of candidates asking themselves what types of problems they'd like to solve as a way of refining their focus of study and learning. So uh, this um, almost seems like it's screaming out for a book pitch or at least a really (laughs) solid flowchart infographic. So uh, can we discuss some of the job roles that line up with some of the problems to be solved? that you identified? Yeah. And and you're right. There are actually some tools that are emerging to help people understand um, Mm -hmm. both where their technical skills lie as well as their aptitude, because a lot of this really is about aptitude and what we want to, what we want to do. So um, yeah. So, I mean, some of the things is to really, really to get into what it is that that person does want to do or accomplish. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I ask this of anybody who comes to me as a, as a mentee, you know, what do you want? And a lot of times I get, I just want to make a lot of money. And 
That's okay. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. If, but if, if your driver is just money, you might be better off going out to Wall Street and being in a hedge fund. Because yes. while this is not a, a low paid career, it's also not going to get you unless you're, you, you're like, you know, a, 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 an Elon Musk. Um, you're probably not going to become a billionaire by, if you become a threat hunter. So yeah, ask right. yourself, seriously what you want to do. I've also had a lot of people say, I want to get the bad guys. Okay. All right. Um, But what does that mean to you? Does that mean that you want to go through a whole bunch of log files, find something that indicates where that, and hand that off to law Mm -hmm. enforcement or to Mm -hmm. some, you know, Interpol or something so that then they go, or do you want to actually be the person who like busts in the door and says, we have traced that ransomware back to you, back Mm -hmm. to this house, come with us and physically arrest them. Because those are two really different sides. Oh, Oh, yeah. Of it. So, so yeah. And I think not understanding that distinction is also something that keeps some people away. Like you get that fear of like, well, if I'm in cybersecurity, suddenly there's a target on my back and my whole family's back or whatever. If, you know, yeah. if, if I get too close, you know, cause you know, we, we did a, 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 an episode where we talked about the, the Bahamut uh, threat group over in the, you know, in the Middle East and, you know, I was like, is this even, you know, what, what's going to happen? Am I going to start getting ransomware? <laughs> and it's like, no, of course not. We're way down the food chain. But like, yeah, I think that still also keeps people out of certain aspects of the job. Like, I just don't want to even deal with that mess, you know? Yeah. And some mm-hmm. people want to help people. I mean, yeah. like, that's, you know, like, yeah. do you want to help people? Well, then there are a lot, as I was saying, there's security awareness training, there's yep. educational opportunities evangelism. Some people really love, they love selling and there's a lot of sales jobs in security. So then they, they see sales of a really good product as their version of, of helping people. So thinking about what it is that the number one thing is you have to get up in the morning and most days be really excited. (laughs) I get it that not every day you're going to go like, yay, I get to go to work. Um, (laughs) But if you can, if you can get up most days and go, you know, I really want to do this work. This is important work for me. Mm-hmm. Then you're in the right place. So I realized that that's what's the important work and what's in cyber are two different things. But then once you understand what's really motivating you, then you can start looking at all the different paths in cyber. And as we've, we've spoken about, there's this huge spectrum of opportunity yeah. um, in cyber. So thinking, but where do you want to focus? What are your skill sets? Instead mm-hmm. of trying to just go, I think I have to be this to get this job in cyber. Think yeah. more about what it is you bring and then starting to understand where bringing that is going to be the, is going to have the most effect. And that can actually, sometimes people who've been looking for jobs, you know, I've talk to people that aren't super technical, but they think they have to get a, a you know, entry-level analyst or, um, you know, or threat hunting job and they keep getting no, no, no. And then they start turning to something like they're an artist who does absolutely beautiful renditions of very tough technical security concepts that other people can consume. And suddenly their career just opens up in a different direction. So um, yeah, don't be afraid of what it is that you bring to the table because you're going to be able to to find ways to apply that and don't try and, and fit yourself into a job that just isn't right for you. And there's, there's one more thing I wanted mm-hmm. to, to say, if that's okay, Chris, yes, um, which is that um, a lot of people think that you have to get your first job in cyber, but if you are more on the, well, actually any side, um, mm-hmm. but you know, the technical side, but you know, this could go for the, the legal side for education, get skill sets in that adjacent piece, and then maybe see if you can transfer that to cyber. So what I mean by yeah. that is, is, you know, a Unix admin, 
a great mm-hmm. Unix admin is going to become a fantastic security yes. <laughs> admin because they right. understand how Unix works. Um, a developer, some of the absolute best application testers, penetration testers you're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, that I've ever met. They were developers. They didn't have any interest in security. But you know who can figure out how an application works really well? The person (laughs) who wrote it. Yes. Right, right, right. So they they can also help to figure out. So when they look at the – and, in fact, I was talking to one penetration tester who said – and I guess we're trying to get rid of that term. I don't know what the new term is, um, but an application security tester who had been a developer for, for years and years, decided to go into cyber, took a class, and after a week was sitting next to – folks who'd been doing application security testing for years. And mm. was a week later, because of their expertise in development and all of their knowledge of it, that one week course then really put them into the ability yeah. to be a practicing tester, which is, is great. So don't, don't write off doing something that's not in cyber, but is adjacent to what you want to do, yeah. and then being able to transfer that out. One of my favorite stories that we've gotten on this podcast is uh, talking to someone in digital forensics who said that her her one of her best employees was a former child psychologist who was able to go through thousands upon thousands of text messages that, you know, a cyber stalker was sending to someone and being able to see sort of what the mindset is to understand the the shorthand of people of a certain age and so forth. Like it's almost kind of a good intellectual exercise. It's like, well, think of the industry or problem you want to solve. Think of, and then how about you imagine what the cybersecurity component of that would be? You know, it's like, if you're in healthcare, what's What's healthcare cyber look like? Well, protecting patient records. What, you know, if you're in the military, what's military cyber look like? Well, a thousand things. If you're in, you know, uh, you know, if you're working at a grocery store chain, what does grocery store security look like? It's like, well, supply chain reinforcements and stuff. It's, it's so easy to sort of pivot from there. And then you can jump into, you know, the whole, the whole crisscross applesauce network of it. (laughs) Yeah, no. And that is, I mean, that's such a great example of someone who came from a psychology background and was Mm -hmm. able to, to bring that in. Um, I come from an English background, you know, I was an yeah. English major. And even though I was techie before that, I was an English major in college. And, and it's been incredibly helpful to me to be able to write in a, in a clear yeah. way that people understand. Yeah, I think people just need to, again, both hiring managers and employees open up the aperture. There's a lot more to, to mm-hmm. cyber mm-hmm. than just the, and I don't mean to, but there, there's, there are many more jobs than, than analysts. We need yep. analysts too. <laughs> Absolutely. So as, as regards long-term strategies, you recommend that, quote, companies need to work on developing effective talent development pipelines so that they can start to ingest junior candidates while working with educational institutes to help work on ways to provide them with continuous education programs based on the needs of the organizations in the general area. And you mentioned, of course, NIST NICE uh, is a good reference point as well as NCAEC and SFIA. So uh, did you come up with any strategies or ideas for implementing the systematizing of this type of educational pipeline for company uh, and to that end for the junior professionals who are already exhausted from the day-to-day work of the job? Can you talk about ways that this model of continuous learning can become, say, as integral to the work week as the essential tasks of the job? (laughs) Yeah. And part of it is really just right it into the sizing of the job you know as as a manager you you should be you should have a sized idea of of what your employees are doing 
and how much time they're spending. And very often we just kind of like, it's like the, just throw that on the cart, throw it out on the cart. It's like, oh, and here's 40 hours of required training. Cause Mm -hmm. especially if you're at a larger company, you've got a a pretty heavy load. It could be up to like an entire week of required training Mm -hmm. for your, your, your just overall um, employee development. And then of course, if you're specialized, right, you're going to want to have separate training for that, go out to conferences. So make sure that you put that in your budget when you're going through the budget rounds that, that there's travel that there's travel uh capacity for people that you sized that in so that they can go off and take a week to get educated that's really the the big thing is to not just kind of this is not something that's going to take care of itself it has to be in the employee plan for that year and i would also i've i've done this a lot um when i manage people you put it into their goals Mm-hmm. For the year, yes, because that now you can't. You made yourself responsible. Your employee knows how important it is, and yep. that's and it's it's a lot harder if they're getting their bonus is going to be dependent on whether or not they did what they were supposed to for that year. And one of those things was education. It's a lot harder to let that drop off if it's a oh yeah that's nice. It's gonna it's it's much more likely to drop off. So so really yeah. solidifying, codifying it, and making sure that your organization has committed to it. Um, by giving the space and also giving the financial yeah. support to pay for that. Yeah, the space is so important too because I, I you know, I, I, I feel like it's not out of the question if you like told your boss, well, it's Friday afternoon and I'm not doing the day to day work because I'm studying for my next, you know, certification thing or whatever. They might say, oh, we, you know, are you really doing that on company time or whatever? Like that's going to have to take a, I think, a fundamental shift of you know, well, can't you just do that after dinner? You know, it's like, no, no, I can't. I have kids. I have, you know, I have a, a parent I'm taking care of. Like, it's just not going to work out like that. We can't, you know, can't live at our jobs all the time anymore, even though we're all at home all the time. No, I mean, then it's like the performative work-life balance stuff where, mm-hmm. you know, the companies that are like, oh, we really value your work-life balance. Yeah, they value it until it's that the company wants you to do something. And it's your, then it's always the company's going to come first. At the, at, and some mm-hmm. works, they are, they're performative. They say it and they don't actually um, live it or do it. So, yeah, and training mm, definitely can slip off if you don't make time for it. Totally. So I love this next line from uh, the article uh, for Chris's article. So quote with with talent pipelines, uh, companies can create paths with consistent levels of developed skills, knowledge areas and proficiencies that allow candidates to see pathways for progression, which can start to open up the hiring aperture to a more diverse set of candidates with a foundational set of competencies transferable to various career verticals. So we're kind of circling back to the beginning when we were talking about getting rid of unattainable unicorn candidates in the job description. Uh, the next barrier to knocked down, I think, is higher in hiring diverse candidates is to hire based on strong skills that can be transferred from other work while knowing what you can train on the needed tech. Uh, and in this way, we strengthen the industry by bringing in new perspectives and new talent sets and new backgrounds, which we've been talking about. Um, can you talk about some of the practical ways that this can happen, not just in terms of hiring people from unconventional backgrounds, but also reaching out to these non-tech communities and making adjustments for difference in social stability, economic issues, health issues, family issues, et cetera. Yeah. And, and it, this gets to that being very realistic about what do you need in that employee and where can they be and what is, is a little bit. So do you really need that four-year degree? It may mm-hmm. be that your company has been saying we need the four-year degree, but do you really need it? What is it representing that the company or organization needs. And mm-hmm. if it's not actually contributing to how well they're able to do this job or to even grow in the organization, rethink that. 
Um, you know, another thing that you'll see very frequently is that they have to have a certain certification, you know, so it may be, I want CISSP, um, you know, and somebody comes along with CompTIA, you know, Security Plus. So being a little bit more flexible about truly what certifications do they need and why are you asking for that certification? Is it just because, well, because they think I should? Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, someone told me I should, or is it something that's actually going to be very specific to those, that job? Because a lot of times, again, you know, with people that may not have had uh, the oppor- opportunities, they may not be privileged with the opportunity to go to those four-year colleges. Mm-hmm. This now gives them a, a better path to come into the company. Um, you know, things like you had mentioned, health issues. There are some jobs that you don't need to go into an office. You can sit yep. at your desk. They may be that you may have flexibility in hours. You know, some health issues, people are fine. And I found this more in the past couple of years with people who are suffering from post-COVID or long yep. COVID. Yep. Uh, they may they may have 40 hours in a week that they can work, but they are not the standard continuous, yeah. you yeah. know, eight hours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and a couple of friends I have who are chronic migraine sufferers. It's like, what do you do when it just jumps out out of the blue? What do you, you know? And it's like you don't you don't power through something like that. But yeah. exactly, and some jobs, sure. If you're if you're like third shift of the sock, uh, you got to be watching it during those hours. But there sure. are a lot of jobs that you don't have to. You you need the forty hours a week from the employee. It can be on their own time. So yep. that can be you know, again, if you can have flexible hours for these employees, and there's the opportunity for you to know uh, if they're delivering or not. And some some jobs, it's you, you know very you know like when I was at Burton Group, for example, it was all about the reports. Your report mm-hmm. was in it or wasn't. I didn't care when you wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't care yeah. where you wrote it, as long as it was high quality and it was on time. That's yes. what mattered. So, totally. yeah, again, opening up and being more flexible about what truly does this job need, and giving opportunities for people that may have uh, different different constraints on their time, on their yes. health, but can still deliver on that job. Mm-hmm. So another topic that came up is uh, apprenticeship programs I want to talk about. So, uh, quote, candidates can work to highlight their skills, passions, and competencies through constant learning themselves and showing employers how they solve business problems through working with the technologies that employers are using uh, and demonstrating their use of them on the scales available with an approach that can later be scaled to meet the organizational needs. So if I could ask maybe an impertinent question here, are we talking about a paid internship? And if not, how does apprenticeship differ from an internship? I would say, you know, there when you have a, a week-long conference with so many different speakers and opinions, mm-hmm. it's pretty rare that you come out with something that's pretty near unanimous, but pretty mm-hmm. nearly unanimous was pay your people. Pay yes. them. If it's an internship, pay them. This is not about asking people to don't if you're if you're a nonprofit, you're asking for volunteers, that's very different. But if you are an organization that's looking for internships, uh, yeah, it's really important to pay them. They're not going to get paid at the same rate as a full-time employee. They may not have uh, benefits, obviously, but pay them something. Their time is is valuable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it, it helps them and it helps the, the employee to have a, a feeling of, of commitment to the role and just being respectful. So yeah, find find the money, pay them, and 
And hopefully that can improve because there's a whole other part, Chris, of like internship programs. Mm -hmm. It's not just it's, it's not sort of the field of dreams. If you if you get an intern, they will come and, and automatically know what to do and how to do things. Right. Like yes. Process. Of I think. Yeah. I mean, that, that's one of those things that starts out as a small problem that spins out to the entire company, because I think about like a lot of what these unicorn candidates represent is this feeling of. Uh, we don't have time to to you know with any we we our, our resources are already stretched so thin that we need someone who can just step in and figure it out for themselves because we can't allocate any you know and we've all yeah. had that that issue in a in a past job or whatever where you get a new hire and it's like okay this is going to take a lot of work off of your plate however you're going to have to spend the next 60 hours training them and all, all you can think is like I'll just do the task myself it's going to take longer to explain it to them than it is. And that's that's a that's a whole systemic failure of of yeah. like the HR department, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> you know, like there should be able to be like, we're taking these things off your plate while you spend more time getting this person up to speed and, you know, being available to explain things to them. And I think internships are like the the absolute terminus point of that, where it's uh, uh, <laughs> we're just going to plug you in. You're going to be, you know, opening mail or you're going to be doing the most boring thing imaginable. Uh, and we're not you know, if we do train you, it's like here, here's the book. Go go figure out or something like that. So, yeah, no. And I mean, so some very large companies, they they actually don't want the intern to deliver anything that's going to be usable. What they want the intern to do because their their processes internships is is how they do a lot of hiring. So what yeah. they want the person to do is to understand the company and the culture and see if you're a good fit and you like yep. being there so that when you graduate, you're actually ready to come in as an employee. So those kinds of interns, it's more about their job is to learn how the company works and you give mm -hmm. them a project that is about them. It's maybe not actually operational. It's more educational for them. And then there are some interns that come in that are very operational. If you ha if you're that kind of and I'm actually preparing for an intern like that this summer right now. Mm -hmm. And what I'm doing is I'm I'm creating this framework of this is what needs to get done. This is what it needs to look like so that they can come in and see the steps to fill in and have actually a, a path laid out. Because if you just, if I just said to them, I want you to kind of go figure this out. Um, that's interesting, but in an operational side, what you want is for them to have the, the steps that they can complete. If, and, but if it's more on the educational side, you might just kind of say, figure something out because you're not looking for them to actually deliver for the guy. You're, you're it's yeah. more about education and about them fitting in with the organization. So different, many different ways to bring in um, interns and, and externs. I've seen, you know, shadow level where they let them shadow for like the first week or two. And then they actually put them into things like doing analysis in the SOC. A lot of different ways to do it, but think it through in advance. Cause just like, as you were saying, just, Oh, wow. We have, you know, we have an extra pair of hands. It's like, um, yeah. yeah, make sure you've got a plan. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and time to implement it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so uh, as I expected, I would, I seem to have structured my entire episode around Chris Fulon's article. So, and I have no regrets <laughs> because every paragraph just went pop in my head and got me all jazzed about this stuff. So here's one more insight that blew me away before I let you go. So quote, uh, just because someone might have access to training and education does not mean that the student or the community see the value in that career path as valuable to generating value for their community. So can you talk about this and all its implications? Because it, it feels to me like you're talking about everything from the satisfaction of doing meaningful work to the benefit to your community if you're, say, doing ICS security and keeping your local infrastructure safe. So what are some 
what are the ways that our industry can help to foster this type of pride and excitement and show value in the work to potential candidates who might not otherwise be thinking to pursue it? Yeah, I think that we can we can start showing more about what the work of cyber is and how it is helping local communities. I mean, for example, if you're giving people in rural areas jobs because they don't have to go into the office, mm-hmm. then you're supporting that community. But it may not be known. You know, yeah. The community may not understand that you did maybe if it's 10% of, because it's not unusual where people start referring friends and things. So you may have, you know, from the same geo or something, Um, start talking about it, talk back to the community and be engaged in the community too, about Mm. the work that's being done, about who's being brought on board. So that there can be this visibility around cyber. We tend to kind of disappear a little bit. And a lot of times people will say, well, you know, either that's not like you were saying, you know, that's not cyber or what is cyber? It doesn't matter. I've had people say to me, like, I don't think it's really, you know, I, I I don't understand what it is. It doesn't, cyber doesn't touch my life. Mm -hmm. And I think that the more people that understand that it does, when we say ransomware Mm -hmm. and so many people are phishing, you know, it's cyber is everything. It's down from the, the email you get in your inbox. Can you trust that that email came from your bank? or Mm -hmm. that it came from a fisher. That's the work of cyber. The work of cyber is making sure that when you look inside your fridge at the store and you see the milk in there, or you you look at your doorbell when you're away and see who's at your front door, the thing that's keeping that safe and secure are the cyber experts. So I think also educating the community, uh, not just on who's working and why, you know, cyber may be creating opportunities, whether it's remote opportunities, building a data center in the area and staffing Mm -hmm. the data center, Mm -hmm. um, Although a lot of data centers want to keep it a little bit on the down low where they're located, but (laughs) (laughs) for other reasons, understandable. Uh, but uh, yeah. Um, And, and also talking about how people in cyber are actually helping the entire community and then outreach Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I live in New Hampshire and the New Hampshire tech tech Alliance and the small business association just went through a program of providing free cybersecurity assessments to Mm. small and medium businesses yeah. And that helps a lot because and they promoted that. a couple of the, the folks working in cyber in New Hampshire. I was one of them, which was nice. Um, mm-hmm. And and I did some of the assessments and it was just a really good way of saying, you know, showing like, hey, New Hampshire, small, medium businesses, there's support for you in cyber. Cyber is important to you. And guess what? You have people working in cyber here in the state. So yeah. that, I think those kinds of outreach and, and conversations can really help to make people feel a little bit better about, um, you know, what opportunities are and how it can help their, their local area. This is, this is a random, this is a random thought I just had. And I don't know if you've had any experience with, uh, candidates coming in, but, you know, I think there's still, uh, especially in, in, uh, non-urban areas, uh, a sort of a thought of tech jobs and maybe security specifically as jobs that don't produce anything that there's not an, <laughs> there's not an end yeah. product out of it. You know, it's like I made cars and now, I push numbers around and and the information economy and all that. Have you seen any resistance in that regard in terms of, of this isn't a real job because I'm not, you know, in, in the medical field, helping a patient get better. I'm not doing this or I'm not doing that. Yeah. I mean, there's partly the invisibility. There's the other side of it, which is that if you guys are working so hard and so good, how come I still got a fish or how come Mm -hmm. the colonial pipeline went, you know, got, stop. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that there's, and I, when people are coming into the field, I actually say, I I sometimes think of this a little bit like as being like an oncologist, Mm. uh, you know, a a cancer doctor, because 
you know, nobody really expect. I don't. I haven't heard anybody go up to a, a cancer doctor and say, "Why haven't you solved cancer?" Right? You know, because <laughs> right. it's like we yeah. we understand this is a really it's a big, big problem. Yeah. complicated problem. Cancer is actually a constellation of different you know issues, right? Mm-hmm. And so th- that's the same thing. It's like you know that that's what happens in cyber. So yeah, yeah, I think it can feel a little bit like, oh, you know, what are you doing, or you haven't done enough lately, and. And look, that does come with it. I have gotten, you know, I've, I've heard it. I've heard from people that, that I work with, you know, basically go to some family party and be blamed for <laughs> someone who got, you know, a, yeah. a family member that got a ransomware lock up their, their mm-hmm. laptop. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, again, I think the best thing is, is education conversation. Uh, in most people, if they're thinking that we're not doing anything, it's because they really don't understand the work of what we do. So I think that the real answer is doing things like what you're doing, Chris, which is mm-hmm. and having these conversations, talking about what the work of cyber is. Um, right. you know, cyber Talent Week, you know, again, trying to get this out there, elevate the conversation so that the, the rest of the world knows that we are here, we are doing good work, but unfortunately, there's no perfect. Right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to end on that because that's a that's a very good, uh, very good button on the whole thing here. So as we wrap up today, um, uh, <laughs> I know that you have uh, things that you may or may not be able to announce or that you might not want to talk about yet. But can you tell me um, what you can talk about that you're excited about on the horizon? Can you talk about ways that people can find out more about Diana Kelly and, and where they can contact you and, and talk more about this kind of stuff? Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Yes. So Val and I are working on a commercial venture, which will help to expand and extend the cyber work that we're doing with the nonprofit. The nonprofit will be there. We will continue to be there um, at the nonprofit, but we're also uh, working on extending the mission. So we're going to be announcing that hopefully in June. Um, You know how it goes when you're doing Mm -hmm, a a new mm -hmm. co kind of thing. Um, But, you know, my LinkedIn is there. I'm I'm posting regularly on LinkedIn. So if anybody wants to follow me, that's great. And, uh, you know, also reach out. I can't I can't get everybody a job. In fact, I don't have jobs right now. But, um, you know, certainly if if I can do anything to help people, I always want to do what I can and uh, help to support. So uh, yeah, follow me on LinkedIn. That sounds great. Diana, thank you for all of your great insights. This was such a treat. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here, Chris. Uh, and as always, I'd like to thank everyone who is listening to and supporting CyberWork. New episodes of the CyberWork podcast are available every Monday at 1 p.m. Central, both on video at our YouTube page and on audio, wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. Uh, and if you want to start learning, you got excited about this interview and you want to learn more uh, about cyber cybersecurity skills, uh, just go to infosecinstitute.com slash free and create an account. And you can start learning right now. We have a, uh, a gated section of our entire skills class, uh, 10 free cybersecurity foundation courses, six cybersecurity leadership courses, 11 digital forensics courses, 11 incident response, security architecture, DevSecOps, Python, JavaScript, and more. Uh, and once you start doing those free things, you're going to want to find out more about it. So just go to infosecinstitute.com slash free and start <laughs> learning today. Uh, thank you so much once again to Diana Kelly. And thank you all for watching and listening. We'll speak to you next week. Bye now. How about some free cybersecurity training resources for you and your team? Just go to infosecinstitute.com/free to get eBooks, training guides, and more than 100 cybersecurity training courses. 
all free for CyberWork listeners. Go to infosecinstitute.com slash free and start learning crucial new skills today.